Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of the Planet Cornone podcast. This episode is entitled Where's Brother? Dot, dot, dot. Joining me this evening are Right Worshipful Grand Lecturer of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, Right Worshipful Brother Christopher Busby. Chris, welcome to the show. You're muted. That's better. Hello. <laughs> you hey, figure Chris. after all of these Zoom calls, I would have, I would know how to unmute a mic. How are you? It's, you know, I, sh I have you saved on my soundboard here. I should have just played my "Good Evening Brethren" Chris <laughs> sound clip, but. <laughs> Good evening, brethren. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Makes uh, me, also makes you feel important. Is the Right Worshipful <laughs> District Deputy Grand Master of the Second Masonic District, Right Worshipful Brother Scott Newberry. Scott, welcome to the show. Good evening, Tim. Hey, Chris. Hey. And our special guest joining us this evening is the most worshipful Grand Master of the most worshipful Grand Lodge of free and accepted Masons, most worshipful brother Ken Clay. Grand Master, welcome to the show. Good evening, Tim. It's great to be with you, and good evening, brethren all. So, for all of you watching this evening, this is the third in our three-part series about the initiatic experience. We started in our first episode discussing the candidate's experience knocking at the door of the lodge, going through the petitioning process, and we ended that episode as he was about to take his first degree. Our second episode with Right Worshipful Brother Ackridge picked up where that episode left off. The brother has received his first degree. He's in need of a mentor, and we talked about the mentoring process. Tonight, we are going to pick that same brother up uh, at the conclusion of his Master Mason degree. For the intents of this conversation, let's assume that he's gone to his first stated communication, and maybe he's been gone for a couple of months and we haven't seen him around. Tonight's episode is about retention. Retention is a topic that is very important to all lodges, and the reason uh, we have the Grand Master joining us this evening is because when uh, Most Worshipful Brother Clay took the Grand Orient two years ago, he came in with four pillars that he wanted to be the focus of his term. And one of those pillars was retention. So Grand Master, if you want to give us a little background on why retention is so important to you and, and your term as Grand Master, that would be great. Yeah, Tim, that's spot on. Um, so what I observed, you know, one of the, the real benefits that we have here in New Hampshire is that your journey to become a Grand Master uh, is 10 years, 10 years in length. And that's assuming uh, that you're not a district officer or something else. Um, and what I observed during that time was that far too many brethren were joining us. Uh, we've all heard the story of the, you know, the, the first meeting uh, following their degrees not being a fulfilling one. And I really wanted to, to focus on what I saw as a problem of some of our newer members not feeling appreciated, engaged, fulfilled, what can we do to make this journey that they've worked so hard uh, throughout their, their catechism, uh, memorizing parts, coming out on uh, frequent nights to make sure that they're, uh, they're raring to go. And then once that process is complete and, um, and you're moving on in your Masonic journey, what can we really do to maximize the value of Freemasonry to them? Um, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect that I had is 
that, uh, and you, a number of you have heard me say this before, um, you can have the very best recruiting tool in the world. You can bring in hundreds of Masons in a one-day class, which is great. But then they come in and they go to a meeting and they're not seeing value. They're not going to return. So what's the point? So what I thought I would do during my term of office is to really focus on helping lodges to understand programs and capabilities they have to make the Masonic experience a positive and fulfilling one so that future leadership can then look toward recruiting programs, knowing that as they bring in additional brethren, they'll have something really fun to come to. Thank you, Grandmaster. I appreciate that. So I wanted to talk a little bit real quickly with the audience and say, when you see the title of this episode, it's Where's Brother dot dot dot. And I think that's an important distinction to realize is that it was left blank. And I think every one of us has gone through our Masonic experience in some way, shape or form can fill in that blank. And whether it's an EA who took his first degree and never came back after his first stated meeting, a master Mason who just had his first stated meeting as a full dues paying member of the lodge, or in many cases, a member who's been around for decades and then just stops coming to lodge. Retention is something that we need to work on at every level of the lodge experience. And when you look at that, I guess the first question is, why do you guys think it is that brothers leave the craft? Start with you, Chris. I think it goes a lot to um, sort of initially, you know, we're talking about those brethren that, you know, the example that you used, right? So coming out of, you know, the days, weeks, and months after being raised, you know, we've, we've talked a lot so far in this thread and it's such it's why it's such a great thread about a, a few different components. One of which is being is communication, but one of which is also setting expectations. Um, if we don't have the right conversation with our brothers coming in and we don't put them to work. I think that what happens initially is you find a brother trying to navigate through what Freemasonry is beyond that master Mason degree. And so, you know, it goes to the question of why somebody joined the fraternity, right? Um, if we don't understand that, as brothers, as lodge officers, um, and, and, and can address those things with that brother through his journey, then you'll get the question, what am I doing? Um, I actually, uh, to, to be honest, I actually asked that question myself very, very early on. Um, and, and part of that was, um, you know, sort of just the the business, right? We 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 go, we we have stated communications. We have business that we have to do, um, but uh, it seemed very at the time very dominated by that business. So it was I wanted something to do, uh, you know, to really sink my teeth into this wonderful craft that has so many different facets to it, and I just didn't know where to begin. Um, so understanding what the expectations were of me and how I could help and having good mentors, um, which I found uh, through asking those questions, 
um, was really able to help me sort of on that initial journey. So I, I think that that's sort of where we sort of begin to, to lose folks is not being able to, not telling them what we expect of them right up front and then not setting them or helping to set them on a particular path with something that interests and engages them in Freemasonry. Scott, how about you? Anything to add? Well, I'm going to take a little, a slightly different take on this because after we had our kind of our prep meeting for this, I started thinking about it because I am one of those guys that stepped away for a while. Mm. Um, you know, you always, we're always thinking about that. You know, we look at the Masons that we have today and well, they've all been here. We've all been active. Why aren't these other people being active? And I actually was on the other side of the coin for a while. And so I started thinking about what was it that caused me to be on the other side of the coin? What caused me to stop going? And I keep going back to the one thought, and that's connection. I didn't have a connection to the lodge other than my father. And, you know, I see, I saw my dad, you know, a couple times a week at that point. So, I mean, that wasn't a great connection to hold me to the lodge, but there wasn't anything coming from the lodge to give me that. Why should I keep coming back? What, what's, what's the draw here? You know, it's so in this essence, Chris, I walked away without actually standing up and asking those questions like you did. Right. Of course, I was also raised in a time period where those questions typically weren't asked because we had a business meeting. That's what it was. Uh, right. So, I mean, it's, it's, I think that's one of the things that we need to take a look at when we start to think about why are people not coming? Why are the brothers starting to fall off? What's the connection? Have they formed a connection to the lodge itself or more appropriately, do they form a connection to a mentor that can help them continue to come and keep coming back. I, what I found in the past is, is that, and still see it today, those that form connections to other brothers stick around. Those that seem to can't, can't quite seem to gel with somebody. Those are the ones we seem to lose. Grandmaster, how about you? Any thoughts on why brethren leave the craft? My, my mind is going in five different directions because there's no one answer. Um, I think uh, brother Musikoff raises an excellent point. Uh, many times we're bring, bringing in young brethren who have families and uh, sometimes there are life changes and you suddenly realize that your cable toe isn't quite as long as you thought it was. I mean, we've all heard the story of people sitting down for an investigation and the candidate asks the question, well, how, how many nights am I supposed to be out? And the typical answer is once a month. We all know where that leads us to. So I think uh, setting expectations is is absolutely appropriate. Uh, I think Chris raised that point. Scott, you raised the point of the mentor. You know, if you don't have someone in today's busy, busy world, if you don't have someone that's picking up the phone and saying, uh, hey, Tim, just a reminder, there's a lodge meeting tomorrow night. I'm going. Do you want me to swing by and pick you up? Oh my goodness, I completely forgot about it. Thank you so much. I think having someone, to Scott's point, that you've really bonded with uh, is critically important. And then the last point that I'm going to make, um, and I, I believe that our, our new incoming grandmaster is going to make this part of, um, I can't call it pillars, but it's it's one of his key themes, is travel. And I, I personally, for me, that was the thing that really made Freemasonry interesting for me because maybe it was a visitation, maybe it was a lodge of instruction, but you had to travel to another location. You got to see different people that you'd never met before. You get to see things done in a different manner. 
Um, I think that if we can bring travel back into uh, a master's agenda, it will really help to, uh, to, to, to really get these brethren to, to reconsider any decisions of not coming back. There's nothing like an hour and a car to bond. Yeah. That is absolutely oh, yeah. true. You bet. You bet. So, but if, if I might, Tim, just real quick. No, absolutely. The Grandmaster had brought up uh, Brother Musikoff's comment. You know, I think that so there there are aspects of the fraternity, obviously, that we do the initiatic experience and, and talking about Freemasonry that that are for us, right? They're they're meant for the brethren. But that being said, I think that there are many opportunities that we have to involve the families in in what it is that we're doing. I, I know, and I, I use this as an example in the past um, with in other conversations that. We uh, a, a lodge that we that that my lodge has a relationship with is Jenks Lodge, uh, formerly in Pawtucket, now in Riverside, Rhode Island. And one of the things that they've done, uh, they tend to have meetings to to rehearse on Sundays. Every Sunday they meet. But what they do is they have a potluck, and they invite the families, and and the the wives and significant others will 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 come with their kids. They will talk, play, hang out in the dining hall, enjoy themselves with the brethren. Then the brothers will go upstairs and do the rehearsal with the family still engaged downstairs. It's things like that, I think, that we, we lose those opportunities to be able to make those family connections. And I think when, when we make the connections in lodge between brothers, that is obviously a huge component. But then when we make that further connection, with the families and get and, and make those larger connections, everything becomes more cohesive and and everyone understands why it is that we're doing what we're doing. And you know what, Chris, I think that's a really good point because, you know, when we were preparing for this podcast, one of the things that came up a lot was activities outside of the immediate lodge setting. And to your example, I find I have found that one of the best ways to get families engaged, or you know, specifically wives, was something like a ladies at the table. I had I hosted one during uh, my term in the East at Rising Sun, and I think that events like that, table lodges, where you're able to get together as as brothers, as families, and share an experience that is not part of the cut, you know. Uh, regular lodge experience. The pomp and circumstance. Right. And I think that having a little right. bit of fun injected into it is, is absolutely one of uh, the key ways to keep everybody in a, in a happy place. I mean, I remember my first memories of Freemasonry outside of my own degree work were serving uh, ladies at the tables for pulpit rock. You know, I'm a member of rising sun. We cooked their meals for a, a number of events once upon a time. And I think I served, two or three different events there and just going out to serve was, was an experience. So I can only imagine what it was like to attend those events and having thrown one now as master, it was a great opportunity uh, to integrate with other lodges. This was during one of our visitations with Nova Scotia, but also get families involved because we had wives and, and, you know, children were there. And I think that's a, a great suggestion and a great point to be made there. So thank you. Um, well, I think it's also important to keep in mind, Tim, that those need to stay at a social level. 
and they shouldn't be looked at an opportunity for you know for us to look for members for to join the fraternity or members to join the appendant bodies or the the youth organizations or something. It needs to stay just for the families, you know, because I've been in positions where I've I've watched you know you you see a family come in and oh gee you know they're they're about the right age for DMLA or Rainbow and all of a sudden the conversation turns into that versus the you know, we're here to have some fun and enjoy ourselves let let's go ahead and keep it at that. So it's it's something to be aware of. You don't want to be turning them into a recruiting opportunity. You want to make sure that it stays family fun and, and so that people get a chance to enjoy each other and have that good time. Yeah, and 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 to that point, if they do that, then the natural there may be already a natural inclination for them to want to do that without any any prodding on on our behalf to do that. So I I think keeping you know keeping it low pressure and keeping it comfortable and welcoming is is super important. I think one of the important things we've identified, you know, during this conversation was that first stated meeting, whether it's your first stated meeting as an EA, a fellow craft or a master Mason, you come in with all this vim and vigor looking to do something and and really be active in the lodge. And then to Chris's point, it's a two and a half hour business meeting about who's responsible for fixing the chairs in the library. And that is certainly not what, it's certainly not what anyone came to Freemasonry for. So one of the things that has become very important and very popular under uh, Most Worshipful Clay's term in the East and has seen a a huge uh, uptick now is education and programs during meetings. We had uh, Right Worshipful Brother Akridge on last time, and, and he has, as Grand Education Officer, led a huge initiative to give us a speakers bureau, to give us Masonic activities that we can bring up and educational topics we can discuss in Lodge. So why are Lodges not doing that? What's, what is it that makes that a difficult step for some Lodges to take? Uh, I would say that it's fear. Um, to some degree. And, and look, we, you know, it, it's easy to feel that way, right? Um, to feel as though that um, as a master lodge officers that you don't know as much as another brother, but it's for that reason, I think, that we're all, we're really all exploring this together, right? Masonry is so broad and so deep. Um, and there are so many opportunities for us to be able to pick some topic to be able to discuss. Uh, we, we had a topic that we, we talked about a, a single section of a degree. I think it was actually really a, a phrase in the degree. And we, we had a, a conversation for 90 minutes on it. Um, I think we tend to sort of overthink what it means to um, for Masonic education to, to put on programs. We can bring in outside speakers, but I think that having those conversations in Lodge, even if it's just about a particular piece of ritual, which is, let's face it, brethren, that is what has bound us all in the fraternity. This is what we share. I think that 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 gives us an opportunity to be able to deepen our own understanding and then get closer closer as brothers. That, That being said, it's not the only thing that we can do. You can have outside speakers or, or speakers that aren't Masonic at all. But I think that um, the idea of where to start 
And by the way, brethren, I don't mean fear in a negative way. We all have, you know, trepidation when it comes to these things. But ask around. And, and for masters, it doesn't have to be the master that is coming up with all of the programs. There's always a brother that is going to be enthusiastic or excited about one particular aspect of Freemasonry and, and, can, and can draw that out into a conversation and lodge. So I, I think that keeping it simple or starting simple, it can get complex, but starting simple, I think, is 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 key to that. Now, Grandmaster, there were a couple of things that Chris said that that made me want to come to you next. Um, outside speakers who are non Masonic, and specifically the last point you made about delegation. Yep. So, obviously, Grandmaster, you and I have spoken about this topic before. So, if you have um, an opinion on on the use of non-Masonic speakers, I'd love to have you share your your opinion there. Yeah, absolutely. I want to be very clear. Um, if you're holding a, a stated meeting um, and you'd like to offer a program, you don't have to offer a Masonic program. Now, I would encourage you to go by the 80-20 rule. 80% of the programs that you offer should probably be Masonic in nature. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a program where you bring in someone from Fish and Game who talks about how to hunt or fish, talk about what's happening with the, the moose population and its decline. And you ask, well, how can I do that as a stated meeting? Well, it's very simple. You simply put the lodge at refreshment and you then allow that person to come in. Uh, you make sure everyone understands that they're not going to be giving the various signs and and whatnot, and uh, and you offer that person as a speaker. Um, the other thing you can you can do is um, for your collation, you can have a speaker come in and and talk at that time. I've I've seen prior to stated meetings, people brought in speakers from the historical society to talk about what's uh, what's happening or touch on some piece of history. Uh, there's there's a whole plethora of programs that, that you can do that are both of a Masonic and non-Masonic nature. Now, when you get to delegation, this is, this is something I've always been very, very strong about. Um, a worshipful master has an awful lot on his plate. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the master saying, all right, I am planning my term. I'm going to be installed in January. And he then announces the following 12 brethren are going to be responsible for coming up with a program each month. So those brethren know right up front, okay, in the month of July, I need to come up with a program. So I'm going to speak. Maybe I'll speak with Right Worshipful Brother Ackridge and and get some input from him on what we could potentially do for Masonic education. Maybe I'll talk with Right Worshipful Brother Busby and talk to him about what we could do for something of a ritualistic uh, standpoint. Maybe I'll talk to either the DDGEO or the DDGL uh, in in those um, in those districts. Um, or maybe I want to talk to my local librarian who would like to come in and, and do a presentation. Um, but the key is the worshipful master, and this also gets back to the point that, that, that Chris was talking about trepidation. Sometimes a master says, I, I can't come up with 12 programs. I don't even know where to start. 
that's where delegation comes from. And you, you ask other people to help tow that, that load with you. And I think, I think that's really important to understand is that the master of a lodge cannot accomplish every task and the grandmaster can't accomplish every task in his grand lodge. And I know that delegation is a hugely important part of the role of, of master of a lodge. And when you look at some of the other topics we've discussed in this series, one of the things that has come up over and over again is, is communication and setting proper expectations. So I know we've got four people who've served as masters of their lodge here on this call. And I think at least two of you have served or are currently serving as secretaries. Um, what is the responsibility of the master or the secretary when it comes to a retention plan? Chris, you're the, you're the sitting secretary. So we'll, well just start, you know, start with you again. You know, part of it, you know, from my perspective is, um, backing off from it being sort of a retention plan, but more just ways to be able to help to make the meetings more, the business sides of the meetings more concise. So one of the things that uh, the master and myself as secretary have worked on together is really sort of paring down that business to obviously communicating all of the important things, what's coming, you know, what's happening in the lodge, what's happening in Grand Lodge, what's happening in the district. Those are always important things to talk about. But as far as other types of conversations, we've worked together to be able to say, okay, you know, how can I, as secretary, um, accomplish all the things that, you know, that we have to accomplish from a secretarial standpoint and that I need to communicate without, without droning on for 45 minutes? Because it's not the best use of the brethren's time. And um, I think that, you know, that, that we can do a better job. So we've started to move a lot of those discussions into the officers meeting. Not necessarily all of the decisions because the brethren have to be apprised of what we're talking about, what we're doing. But I think that as we as officers understand sort of what the content of the meeting is going to be, a lot of those questions that might come up get, get resolved. And therefore between the officers, the master and the secretary, we can sort of come up with a plan for the business to make it as concise as possible, which then leaves that time for other types of programs and, and discussions. So not only is it sort of the infrastructure piece of, of, of managing the meeting, but then also the methods in which we use to communicate when things are happening and, and what special events might be occurring or an agenda in a meeting that might include some of those speakers or special events that might draw in brothers. So um, those are the types of things that, um, that, that I've seen that we've been, that we've been working on. Scott, how about you? So I'm going to kind of build on what Chris was saying, because I think there's a couple pieces that kind of are missing and when it comes to retention, I think one of the big things from a master's perspective is you need to talk to your brethren. What is it that they want to see in their lodge? You know, we keep talking about eliminating business or moving it to committees or officers meetings, trying to condense as much as possible to make a program available to them. But you might have a lodge where the business meeting is the reason why they're showing up. Uh, I can't imagine a lodge being like that, but I'm sure there are the ones that are out there. Or maybe they want to see it condensed so they can go home early because 
there there are a lodge of early risers. I mean, if you have a, a lodge where everybody's got to be at the office at six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, they don't want to be at the at the temple till 10, 11 o'clock at night. So I think it's really important for the master to have that conversation with the, with the brother and don't do it in the stated meeting. Pull them aside after the meeting, get on the phone and call them and talk to them because people are much more likely to open up and give you some real honest input when they're not sitting there with 15 other guys in the room and they're all wondering, yeah, is it going to be questioned what I have to say? Some will, some folks will, will thrive in that environment and give you the feedback, but others are more reserved and they want to actually just have that one-on-one -on -one conversation. So I think that's really important from the master standpoint. From a secretary standpoint, and this is where the secretary is going to need a little bit of help from the master to get some extra delegation put in there. The secretary should really be trying to reach out and actually have a touch point with the brothers of the lodge. We don't know if a brother's not coming because there's an issue or because he just doesn't want to come. And the secretary is typically the individual who most often communicates with the brother. He's the one that usually sends out the trestle board, special meeting notices. You know, he's the one that sees the, e the uh, email or the regular postal mail get bounced back to the lodge. So I think it's important that he has an opportunity to touch base with those different members of the lodge. He can't do it all by himself. Some of these, some of our lodges have very large memberships. So having an extra brother or two to help him out with that, whether that be an assistant secretary or a couple of brothers that are willing to actually step up and do that. Uh, you know, like I've started doing that with our apprentices. I reached out to them all again this week after, you know, last week I reached out to them, make sure that, you know, they're aware of what's going on at the lodge. You know, it doesn't have to be the secretary, it doesn't have to be the master, but those are the people that most brothers are familiar with and who they expect to hear from. Most worshipful. Um, I guess for you, obviously, the scale that you're working with is is a little bit different than the uh, individual lodge. But how do you find communication works the best uh, from a Grand Lodge perspective? So um, I have been using a practice uh, ever since I was installed every Sunday evening. Uh, Chris and Scott know this because they've now received uh, almost 100 of these. Uh, every Sunday evening, I come on and I write what's called Notes from the East. And what it is, is it starts out with a little summary at the top that talks about my experiences from the last week. Uh, I wrote one earlier today, and it spoke about my experiences attending the Grand Lodge of Connecticut that my wife and I did this weekend. We had a delightful time. Uh, and then I talk about, in bullet form, what are the events that I participated in last week, and then what are the events that I'm going to be participating in this week. And I actually learned this, this practice uh, from the past masters of my, my mother lodge. Uh, and so when I was master of my lodge, I did it. And I said I was going to do it again as grandmaster. And what it does is it serves as a nice reminder of anyone that uh, is traveling with me around the state to various functions. <clears throat> it gives them a, a reminder while it's still fresh of what's coming up next week. We all know that you get a trestle board. Maybe you put it on a magnet on your refrigerator and it's been sitting there for three weeks. And on it, it says this coming Wednesday, you have a meeting down at the lodge where you're gonna talk about the future of your lodge. Well, you haven't looked at that trestle board for three weeks. So what I do with my, what I refer to as notes from the East is to make sure that people have a reminder of anything that's within the next seven days that they need to be 
attending these functions. Communication is absolutely key to making sure that people are going to support you. So Grandmaster, that's a great segue into what I wanted to ask next. You know, having recently just left the east of my lodge and, and Chris, you're sitting in his secretary today. Um, I think we all know how frequently those trestle boards are read. They're read on the day they're sent. And that's probably it. And communication through the trestle board is a valuable tool. For the people who know to go back to it and refer to it, it's important. But what, what else do we need to do as a lodge to communicate? Because it's great to have programs. I think that having programs every month is the foundation of any important, successful retention plan. But those programs only work if the brethren are aware of them. So what do we need to do? What, what tools do we need to use to make brethren aware of the, the systems we have in place or the, the programs we have coming up? I think then, excuse me, the notes from the East is, is certainly something that keeps it active within, you know, your, your lodge, but what can we do on a daily basis to reach out and just touch a brother and remind them that something's coming up, especially if you know, they may be interested yeah. Scott, what, what what are you doing there? I, 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 you say, what can you do on a daily basis? Uh, most of us carry one of these in our pockets. Uh, you can send a text. You can call, actually use it to call somebody. I, <gasps> I hear that's still done once in a while. Uh, but you know, if if you know, I mean, we all have a responsibility to our lodge. Some of us are mentors. Some of us are first line signers. Some of us are officers. Some of us, you know, get along really good with the guy we sit next to at lodge every every month when we go. Pick up the phone and let them know, hey, did you know this was going on? Let me drop a quick text to so-and-so. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if they're coming or not. Uh, you know, and it works both ways. If you're gonna if you're gonna miss out on something, hey, you know, send it to someone who you know is gonna be there. You know, drop a message to the master. Hey, look, sorry, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to make it tonight. Uh, you know, it goes back to what you know uh, Ken was talking about, is you know, it's all about that communication piece. Uh, you know, we're all walk around, we're all capable of sending emails, text messages, and making phone calls. But how many of us actually ever do? Uh, you know, I a good example. I was uh, Friday. I actually spent a half an hour going back and forth with one of the brothers of the lodge. You know, just in text messages. He just, you know, he didn't have, he didn't want to pick up the phone and call, but he wanted to go ahead. He had a couple of questions, and we did it all through text messages, uh, which worked out really well. He got what he needed. It was another touch point. You know, so he was stayed engaged. Uh, it'd be nice if we all understood that those are tools that were available to us. So, Chris, coming to you next, because you are a member of the Grand Lodge Communication Committee, as is Scott. Um, communication, since you've joined that committee, has been fantastic. What are the tools that you find most successful uh, in communicating what's going on at Grand Lodge that local lodges can use in their own programs? Well, it's got to it's it's got to reach multiple channels and, and that and that's the thing that i think sometimes that we, we forget about um you know um social media is wonderful it's a great tool um it reaches a lot of people um but you're not going to reach everyone right and so we're trying to do things to meet the brethren sort of halfway because every brother like scott just mentioned um likes to communicate in a particular way some people i mean you know i call scott um, to, and tell him that we're going to be on the phone for five minutes. Scott and I are going to be on the phone for at least two and a half hours uh, because that's what happens. 
uh, because uh, and I, usually and somewhere in there, Chris, you'll mention something you posted on Facebook, and I'll say, "Well, I didn't see it because I'm not on Facebook all the time." Right? You know, Scott and I are in the same generation, but Scott doesn't really use social media in the same way that I do. I'm I live in the matrix. I'm always there, um, and a lot of a lot of the newer brothers are, but. That, that doesn't mean that, you know, that, that a brother that is in his 80s is going to be there. Are they on social media? Absolutely. Are they on the Internet? You bet. But, you know, sometimes it requires a phone call. Sometimes it requires a message. We're about to do our 150th anniversary in my lodge. So I sent out, you know, actual printed mailed invitations to folks. And then we're going to be Some following folks. up with to some folks, not to yeah, everybody. I'm, I'm still not sure what that piece of paper was. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't sure how to open it. I don't get any mail anymore. Listen, so, <laughs> so, but again, it, it, it's it, it's it's having a, a multifaceted strategy, um, and having more than just one brother engaged in it. It can't be just the secretary. The secretary certainly uh, facilitates a lot of that communication with the master. Um, you know, really leading the charge, obviously, in his role. But, you know, you, you need other brothers to be able to be out there and sort of, for lack of a better term, evangelize what's going on with Lodge. Um, travel is certainly, when we're talking about, you're talking about Grand Lodge stuff, uh, you know, and the Grand Master certainly knows that, you know, the best way for us to be able to communicate what's going on in Grand Lodge is to actually be in lodges, you know, the brethren that are actually there and participating and tell them what's going on and explain, explain these programs and get them excited. Um, so it has to be a little of all of those things, uh, but you, ne you need the right, you need the right brothers, not just, you know, not just the master and secretary involved in, 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 in communicating those things. So Grand Master, uh, you have, in the last year especially, undertaken what I would consider an unprecedented communication plan here in the state with your Q&As and, and with the programs that you're launching. And I'm sure much of that has been uh, at Right Worshipful Brother Busby's prodding. But what have you found to be particularly effective as a communication tool at Grand Lodge? You know, I can't point to one thing. I, I think of it as being a big umbrella. Um, tonight's excellent example it's 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 a comfortable setting where we can just kind of talk about some of the issues and challenges that we have or better yet some of the opportunities that we have um it, it, it you know we've got we've done newsletters in the past uh haven't done as many lately because i wasn't sure as many people were reading them and that's that gets to scott's point of know your audience and make sure you're addressing your audience's needs um and I and I a point that I wanted to make earlier, we do have a Grand Lodge website. And what's very critically important to the people out there uh, in our lodges who are responsible for our websites is making sure that the information is fresh. Because the theme of tonight's talk is retention of brothers. The last thing you want is for a brother to say, gosh, I'm I'm pretty new. And I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. And I think I've got a, a lodge meeting coming up next week. Let me go to the website to see what it says about what we're going to do that night so that I'm dressed appropriately or I'm properly prepared. And the event is not on their website. I mean, you can't think of a worse scenario. It's critically important that 
Chris's point, not only do you have various channels where you're offering these in a dynamic way to address different people's needs, but the information's got to be fresh and accurate. Well, so, Grand Master, well, I was going to say that kind of oh, goes into the uh, the statement earlier about travel. If your lodge isn't actually posting stuff about what they're doing, how would other brothers know that that's going on? So they might want to attend. You know, right. maybe Chris's lodge is doing a program on something I'm interested in. If I don't know what's happening, I can't go to it, and I might be able to tag a couple brothers to come with me. And you know what, Scott, that's a really important point because generally your trestle boards go out to the members of your own lodge. And I'm sure every lodge also has a, a, a section of their trestle board mailing that is not members of their lodge, uh, dignitaries or, you know, affiliated members of, of other bodies, but certainly not to the level of information being dispensed across the entire district or the entire jurisdiction. So communication from your lodge to the district or to the jurisdiction is hugely important in building programs because you're going to want to get input and you're going to want to bring brothers in from all around the area because as, as we've already said travel is is supremely important to strong bonds and building you know a retention plan but how do we know where to travel and i think that communicating within your your lodge facebook groups you know the cornerstones program where you, where you have an opportunity to engage with people who are in your your district or your geo group is important and Scott, I've had the immense pleasure of serving as the uh, president of the Masters and Wardens Association for the second district uh, during your term. And I think we've done pretty well at communicating what's going on in the district at those meetings so that that information can get out to everybody. You're and, staying on again, right? Uh, I'm neither a master nor a warden. That's so okay. We'll, that that we'll doesn't matter. That. We'll discuss that in June. <laughs> um, but it's definitely been a great way to, to find out what's going on. And there are all these opportunities that are available to lodges to reach outside their own walls and to use the resources that are at their disposal. And Grandmaster, you mentioned this podcast and I mentioned the Q and A's earlier. The Grand Lodge is a source of excellent opportunities, excellent information for retention. So what services or what sort of programs can the Grand Lodge help their constituent lodges uh, put together, what sort of benefits or, or uh, information is available from a Grand Lodge perspective? So um, under the leadership of our Deputy Grand Master, he's put together a very comprehensive leadership training program. Uh, it's been offered both face-to-face -face and virtually. He's done a great job of, of really covering the whole dynamic of what it takes to be a good leader. And encompassed within that are specific ideas of items that Wishful Masters can consider when thinking about how can I make sure that my meetings are fun, engaging, and informative. The last thing we want is for someone to come, spend 20 minutes, Master says, well, I think I've kept you here long enough. Have a good evening, brethren. Uh, to Chris's point, you want, you know, want to come up with some topics where Brethren are just sitting around at ease and just talking, talking about Freemasonry. So that's one example of what Grand uh, Grand Lodge can do. Chris Scott, you want to chime in? I like you, Chris. You're full of good, <laughs> you're full of good ideas. 
Well, you know, ultimately, it's just, you know, when it comes to lodges, um, it's about engaging your Grand Lodge officers, engaging your district deputy grandmasters, engaging your district deputy grand lecturers, um, engaging your education officers. These brethren are here primarily to, to support the lodges. Um, and, and I think, you know, we, we under, we're undergoing a little bit of a transition. You know, um, I think, you know, sometimes it, it, it's tough because, you know, when, when a master sees a bunch of, or, or a single brother with a, you know, a gold collar and a purple apron show up, it can be a little bit intimidating, like, uh Oh, what did I do wrong? And so, you know, and certainly the grand master has done a phenomenal job to make sure that, uh, through items like this and other things to be able to make sure that we're more accessible because that's at the end of the day, what we're supposed to be is resources to the lodges. So um, I, I think that when an idea comes up or a challenge happens in, in a lodge, like how, how do I, how do I, how do I improve things? The first thought isn't, and, and not necessarily should be, okay, you know, what, what do the district officers think? Obviously with the brethren, but if you need of your own lodge, if you need assistance, you know, if you need ideas for programs, I mean, I can tell you that, you know, uh, you know, Right Worshipful Ackridge, Right Worshipful Wolf, myself, Right Worshipful Tuttle in, in, the, in the lecture, we're all here to be able to help. And, and we have so many very knowledgeable brothers and Grand Lodge officers uh, and non-Grand Lodge officers that are, that are here to assist. So, you know, pulling, at, pulling uh, resources from outside of your own lodge, from even outside of your district, uh, communicating to other brothers that have have that knowledge in, in that particular area, and 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 working with your Grand Lodge officers, your district officers, we're all here to help. So to go off of that, Chris, I think one of the things to keep in mind is is that if you're trying to put together programs, if you're trying to figure out how to help your lodge improve its retention, reaching out to your district officers is, you know, is an option. And keep in mind when you do that, it's not necessarily to go ahead and ask the question, what should I do? I mean, I've had a lot of uh, conversations with a lot of brothers, not just as as district deputy grandmaster, but even when I was a brother sitting on the sidelines and as a past master of my lodge, where a lot of the conversation wasn't, this is what you should do, but have you thought about this or have right. you taken that and changed it, maybe looked at it from this perspective? You know, chain, have it, helping someone look at something from a different angle sometimes gives them the answer that they need. I, I'll admit right up front, I don't have all the answers. And, you know, by means I can't, I don't have a crystal ball to look at everybody's uh, lodge room and say, well, this is what you need to do in order to be able to take care of it. But I might be able to help help you discover what it is by asking certain questions or maybe directing a conversation between you and a couple of brothers to kind of help you pull and tease out what you might need to do next to help you take that next step. And I think that's where a lot of Grand Lodge officers are a huge benefit. A lot of us have seen a lot of things. A lot of us have talked and have had opportunity. To, I mean, I thanks to the Grand Master, I get an opportunity to sit down, you know, three, four times a year and talk to other district deputy Grand Masters where we can all kind of get an idea of what are we all seeing? What are we all working on? So we had get an opportunity to actually see beyond just our district. And I think that's one of the things, uh, Tim, that the Masters of Warrens has been so useful at for our district is that the lodges get to see something beyond their lodge. 
And that's where I think the Grand Lodge officers and those types of organizations can be a huge help to masters and to brothers who are trying to figure out what can I do next to help out. Oh, sorry. It's interesting because it's because we don't seem to think that masonry is diverse um, in, in ideas and ways of doing things. Because sometimes we get sort of uh, you know cloistered in our in our own lodge, but you know going out to Scott's point and, and seeing it, it, it is diverse. It is diverse in how lodges run and how the types of programs they come up with, the ideas they have and how, how to be able to approach their, their brand of masonry. And this goes back to, we talked a little bit about this lodge culture, you know, in developing that um, and, 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 and developing that not, not from nothing, you know, not from just sort of, you know, within the cave, right? You you have to sort of branch out and see that. And, and there is there are so many differences within bylaws and constitutions and and ritual and, and following all that we need to do. We're all doing that, but I think that there's so much more that we can learn from with each other by by understanding better what's what's out there masonically. Yeah, and I think you have to look at traditions too. I'm sorry, Ted. No, go ahead. Uh, there's a lot of lodges have traditions that have been passed on for decades. You know, they, and, and you will all chuckle when I say it, we've always done it this way. You know, it, you know, we hear it a lot in some okay, cases. I've never heard that. You've never heard that? Well, it, what's interesting is, is that a lot of times when we hear the phrase in conversation, it's taken in a negative context. But you have to look at what the tradition is before you make that statement. It may actually be something that adds a lot of value to the lodge. It's a it's an item that's been a part of the lodge. It's history. You know, uh, I know that there's there's lodges out there that have historical items in their buildings that you know to them it's a big thing. And you know, well, you know, at our June meeting we always trot out this particular piece and we have a historical lesson on it. For some lodges, it's like oh, there they go again. They're going to do the same thing they always do every year. But for the members of that lodge, it's important. It connects them to a piece of their history. And from a another lodge visiting, say, well, you know, you might think, well, you know, that's kind of boring. I don't really care about it. But someone who's thinking might say, well, wait a minute, what do we have in our building, or what personage that we do we have in our history that we can use to help tie us back to our history and our traditions? And then you can actually build a little bit of culture from that, a little bit of, you know, this is the way our lodge is. So it's important to take a look at all those different aspects and not just dismiss stuff because, well, it's always been done that way. Well what's the reasoning behind it being done? Because it might make sense to see if we can incorporate it into what we do in our own lodge. And you will never, ever get the opportunity to see those things that you were mentioning, Scott, if you don't get out of your own lodge and travel. And Absolutely. that, again, I think it's coming down to that a lot. For me, my first three, four years in masonry were filled with traveling to other lodges, helping prepare meals at other lodges, and, you know, unfortunately that's died off a little bit for me, but it's, it's certainly something that I, those are memories that I will hold and cherish forever oh, because the, the experience was so impactful. Yeah. The, uh, I forget what year it was. I was going through the line and there were, we, we were called the four horsemen of St. Mark's because there were four of us. We pile into one of the guys suburban and we travel from lodge to lodge during visitation season. And there's nothing like seeing four guys get out of a suburban after a 90 minute ride to upstate New Hampshire to go to a meeting. 
And, and it's just it's just amazing what it does for you. It builds that bond between the brothers. And it actually, we actually started to build bonds with other members of other lodges because it's like, okay, are you going to make the next meeting? Are you going to make the next one? And you kind of have that friendly competition without even realizing that you're doing it. Yeah. I so, mean, at that point, there are several opportunities, right? There are traveling gavels that are out there that are encouraging people to travel to other lodges with a group to, to bring a, a gavel home. My lodge has a program called the Wandering Wayfarers to Scott's point. They all hop in a van and they'll, they'll go visit a lodge and they'll let I've, them know in advance they're coming in case they're serving a meal. Yep. There's just countless things that you can do. Your eyes will be absolutely balloon sized when you look at how other lodges do things and you had absolutely no idea. I actually I, have a pin from the Wandering Wayfarers that can. So do I. But I, I do want to make a very important point because we're talking about retention here. I want you to hearken back. And sometimes it's really hard to do this because we've been doing our masonry for, for a fair amount of time. I want you to hearken back to your first six months in masonry. And I want you to remember how you felt sitting on the sideline. Hopefully there was someone sitting beside you kind of coaching you and helping you to understand things but perhaps not. It's incumbent not only upon the master of the lodge, but anyone in that lodge. If you see someone sitting on the sidelines who's relatively new, oftentimes they're going to be too afraid to go to someone and say, I, yes. I want to help. Just tell me what I can do. I want to help. I want to learn more about masonry. I'd love to be able to recite some ritual. I just want to get involved. But they're they're too afraid to ask that. It's incumbent upon the members of the lodge and the worshipful master in particular to make sure someone's going up to that brother and saying, I am so pleased, Chris, that you came here tonight. I was wondering next month if you might be willing to help us out in either ritual or working in the kitchen or a Masonic education piece, whatever it may be. I'm not sure what your skills are. Give me some ideas of what you'd like to do to help contribute. You have to approach them because odds are they're not going to approach you. And that ties in a lot with what we've talked about in this, this three-episode series. We need to make sure that we know the brothers who are coming into our lodge better than we used to. So that when a, a new brother sits down, his first meeting, the people know who he is they know a little bit about him, and there's a level of comfort between the new brother and the members of the lodge that enables that that conversation. Because I think that is very important. I think that understanding that people aren't necessarily going to come to you and ask you questions, and you need to be the one as the the experienced mason. You know, we've all seen clicks that look like clicks in lodges, and. I've never known a, a group in a lodge where if a new guy came in and wanted to join and hang out and do whatever it was, he wouldn't be allowed, but he doesn't know that he is. Right. And I think that's a really good point that you made there, Most Worshipful. Well, I, I think it also has something to do with the culture of a lodge, too. I mean, some lodges just have that natural inclination to make a brother feel welcome. Uh, you know, my own lodge here in the second district. I mean, I was actually raised in the first district, but when I came over to the second district, I walked through the doors of St. Mark's, you know, my father and I walked in and the guys that were there made us feel like we've been members for 15 years at that point. 
you know, they offered us a cup of coffee. They were having a potluck supper. They asked if we wanted anything to eat. They made us feel really, really welcome. You know, and it goes to a long way towards how's the lodge going to function going forward? You know, because now whether I decided to go to that lodge or not, I know that I could walk into that lodge room and feel welcome and be able to sit in lodge with those brothers and have a good time. Doesn't matter whether I became a member or not. That's yeah. the impression they've given me versus a lodge where you could walk in and you walk in and everybody kind of looks at you and it goes back to their dinner. It's like, I don't feel welcome here. It's, it's not the right vibe. And you, whether it's a, a member that's been in your lodge for 50 years or a guy that just took his EA degree, making them feel welcome, going over and have that conversation, you know, to Ken's point, it's huge. You know, it, new guy, we want to help him out. We want to give him something to do. We want to help him find his spot in the lodge. A 50-year member may just want someone he could chat with for a couple of minutes before the meeting's begun and a couple of minutes after the meeting's over just to kind of, you know, connect with another brother in the building. So it's, it makes a huge difference. Masonry can seem, especially to the, the the new brother, very monolithic. There's a lot of etiquette. There are a lot of rules. Um, you know, there, there, there's just a lot to know about Freemasonry, and it can make guys uncomfortable. You know, even even if they've been coming and they know they know the brothers, but within the lodge setting, it can be very very intimidating for 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 a new brother. So. Uh, having that, you know, like you said, Scott, you know, making that, you know, uh, empowering, empowering brothers to what uh, Most Worshipful said, you know, and, and making them feel comfortable and welcome. Um, those, those two aspects, I think, really, really make all the difference. And, and it goes to when you actually finally get one of those brothers that hasn't been around for a while when he shows up. It's important to kind of have that same conversation with him and don't force the brother into something. Uh, I don't know the number of times that I've heard the story of, yeah, I wanted to go back to lodge. I walked through the door and they asked me to sit in a chair and I didn't even know what I was supposed to be doing. And it's like, it's not what you want. You want to make the brother feel welcome. You don't want to just put him right to work. Now, admittedly, sometimes you don't have a choice because there's not enough brothers to, to be there that evening for whatever you're trying to accomplish. But, you know, a lot of times it's just let the brother get used to being coming back to lodge. Uh, I know that after my hiatus, I was... I'll never forget it. I'm sitting in the front seat of my dad's pickup with him and we're driving over to lodge and, and we're about halfway to the temple. And he looks at me, and goes, now you do remember what you're supposed to do when you get to lodge, right? You know? So it's like, you know, but how many brothers are like that? You know, when they, when they show up, they're really not sure what they're supposed to do. You know, it's been 15 years since I sat in a lodge room. What, what am I supposed to do? You know, and taking so that people understand by now that, one of the things that I've always tried to stress to the leadership team, uh, to, to Tony's point about comfort, uh, we all knocked at that door. We all received a white apron and we all met on the level. So regardless of rank or privilege that you may have today, we all started at the same point. So regardless of whether you are a worshipful, a right worshipful, a most worshipful, if you've got someone sitting on the sidelines and you think you can help them to improve themselves in masonry and to have a more positive Masonic journey, absolutely go over and sit down with them. Doesn't matter who you are. Be approachable. Make them feel comfortable. And to Scott, I, you know, your last point about 
those brethren who may not remember what to do. One of the things that we talked about before COVID started at Rising Sun was the idea of a rusty nail degree or a rusty nail night where people come back and you go through the motions. And that's a program in, its, in itself to teach those lapsed brothers who may not have been around the ropes of addressing a lodge or coming in and out of a lodge room and making them feel comfortable in a setting that isn't putting all that pressure on them. Because I know, I mean, I haven't been out of a lodge for more than 60 days, I think, uh, since I joined one. But sometimes you walk into a lodge and maybe you're late to a meeting and all of a sudden the spotlight is shining on you as you're walking into that lodge room because the meeting has started and you forget everything. I can only imagine what that must feel like for somebody who hasn't been in a lodge room for a decade. And making sure those brethren feel comfortable with learning that information without the pressure of being put on stage in a way is really important. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, Chris, one of the things you mentioned, one of the first things you mentioned um, was the questions that were running through your head when you joined Masonry and, and as you were progressing early on in your journey. And I think that one of the things that struck me in our conversation in preparing for this podcast was the idea of being your own best advocate. And that's a tough concept for a new brother, certainly as the grandmaster mentioned, but what can any brother do to advocate for a lodge experience that, that better meets their needs? Oh, that, I mean, so I think just to take a little bit of a step back, that goes to, again, you know, this is why this is a thread of, of podcasts, right? Is, is absolutely when, when, when you have a men, when you have a strong mentor, somebody that really understands and can connect with a brother, one of the things that, that conversation, you know, that conversation should consist of is look, you've got to tell us, right? We, you know, we don't have any fancy Masonic superpowers, of 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 mind reading, right? Oh, you're giving it away, Chris. Oh, I know. Uh, but you know, but you are an important person. Now, an entered apprentice has has his place in the lodge. Not a, a full fledged member, you know, having signed the bylaws and all of those things, but still a brother, right? And so we still need to uh, we we still need to involve them and make them feel as though that they're a part of this. But certainly as they go through to be able to encourage that brother to say, you know, look to most worshipful's point, we are all on the level and what, no matter, you may feel at times that there's a sense of intimidation in, in lodge, but just keep in mind that you do have uh, people to be able to, to, to talk to and, and, and open it up. Um, and look, you know, the, the lodge meetings are not always the best place to have sort of those broad conversations. They're usually not the best place, right? Because there's a lot going on. Um, maybe having separate uh, occasional touch points, either with individual brothers or just having a, a, like a town hall setting, right? Which is something that Grand Lodge currently does. As a matter of fact, our own lodge had done that at one point to get the brothers together, just all on the level, no titles, to be able to say what's going right and what's going wrong and how can we do better, right? And give those brothers an opportunity outside of the lodge experience to be able 
to uh, to participate in that way as well. So again, it goes back to the very beginning, right? Of making making brothers feel as though you know, un understanding what their place within the lodge is at every stage of their journey. And certainly when after the, the time that they're master Mason saying, look, you know, you, you, you are equal to the rest of us and your say is just as important as every other brother here. Let, let's hear from you. Um, and so providing those opportunities, I think is very important. But again, this is, this is an excellent teaching moment for a mentor because I think Chris brought up something very important. Um, there's a reason why a person is called an entered apprentice. They have not yet attained the degree of Master Mason. They are still learning. Um, you can't give them free reign. You can't let them come in and say, I think we should be doing more of this or doing more of that. Um, so make sure that you again, as we've said before, set proper expectations that as you're working your way toward Master Mason, that we're willing to listen and, and hear from you, but the master is ultimately in control and will dictate who gets the word on the floor or in a town hall. I, I, I think it also goes to, you know, from a, from a Master Mason standpoint, once you obtain that degree, I think, you know, talking about being your own advocate, if there's something that you think is missing from your lodge experience, if there's something that you would like to see, take the opportunity to walk over to your master after a meeting's over or pick up the phone and call him and say, hey, look, I, you know, I think it'd be nice if we could do this and whatever that is. Now, keep in mind, as soon as you say this is what you want to see in your lodge room, there's a relatively high probability that it's going to get delegated to you. So yeah, it's not that you'll have to do it by yourself, but you know, you, there's a really good chance that, you know, you're going to be involved with actually making it happen. That's absolutely true. But I think that everyone is, um, I think everyone has a responsibility to, improve their lodge and, and be a part of the change they want to see. I think that's, that's really a huge part of building a lodge experience. So yes, you may be, you may be voluntold if you say that this is what you want to see. Um, but I think that gives you a great deal of control over the experience you have. And, and I, I'd like to see that more from the brethren on the sidelines because there are so many things that a lodge can do. You know, we've seen costume degree teams. We have in, in the second district, we have a district degree team that has performed, uh, in my opinion, a fantastic EA degree with one of the best uh, senior deacons I've, I've ever seen. Um, wow. It was him, by the way. It was me, yes. Uh, there were <laughs> outdoor degrees. I mean, there are so many things that happen in masonry that I know of because of the activity that I have you know, from a master level, from my masters and wardens, from the social media that I'm a part of, that other members of your lodge may not be aware of. So sharing that knowledge and finding out what works best for you and the members of your lodge is, is hugely important. Um, a, you know, a, a side comment, Tim, if, if I might just say. Absolutely. This is where knowing your bylaws and your constitution, I know that might sound strange, but I think sometimes we get uh, we get ourselves into a situation where we think things, certain things can't happen, 
Oh, absolutely. Right. Like we we're not empowered as lodges to do things, but as long as, um, as long as we follow the general regulations and constitution bylaws of our, you know, of Grand Lodge and of our lodges, then we have a lot of ability to be able to come up with novel new ideas uh, in order to be able to really engage our brethren. So I, I encourage you to, to, you know, I encourage all of the brethren that are listening to this to, to, you know, to think about that, you know, look at what's, look at what's possible. Um, because you, you may be very well surprised, even if, even if it's something that you, you've looked at before and you thought about, you know, think about it again, because I'll tell you, I think uh, a lot of times uh, we come up with ideas, ask if you're not sure that if, if something is going to, if a program is going to be uh, allowed or, or be constitutional, or you might, you, you, you might, there might be questions that come up, just ask the question. Uh, you have a great group of folks in the Grand Lodge office, you have district officers again, but, you know, think outside the box uh, because they're, they're, you'd be surprised at how many things that uh, that you can accomplish. Well, just take a look at what we, we talked about earlier tonight. Uh, the Grand Master mentioned it, a non-Masonic program at a state of right. communication. Yep. Uh, you know, it's, it's how many brothers out there, and, and you know, for all the guys that are wa currently watching, how many of you are, were aware of the fact that you could actually do that? You know, some I'm sure there are plenty out there that knew that, and I'll bet you there's just as many who didn't realize that they could do that. So, I Tim, mean, what I'd love to do here for just a moment, absolutely, to share some experiences of programs that were meaningful to you. Uh, so, for me, I think it's already been said this evening: table lodges and ladies at the table events are are terrific fun. Uh, I know in the holiday season, a number of uh, lodges bring in Santa uh, with the kids for gifts. Uh, doing programs where you're giving back to the community. I know that uh, during the pandemic, there was a lodge in the Epping area uh, that was giving away meals to the local community. There's so many rewarding things that we can do. Uh, both within and without the four walls of our lodge that anyone can get involved in and have fun with. Uh, so, Tim, if you wouldn't mind, can I ask all three of you, what are some specific examples of programs that you've seen and participated in and said, wow, that's fun? Sure. Um, if, if you don't mind, I'll start. I, For me, the history aspect of, of Freemasonry has been one of those driving factors behind my interest in the organization. And my lodge is very fortunate. We have uh, a number of, of members who know a lot of other Masons elsewhere. And one of the, the most interesting presentations I saw was uh, Brother Don Dolliber out of Marblehead, Massachusetts, came to my lodge and presented a presentation on uh, Bunker Hill, the Bunker Hill Monument. And for those of you who are not familiar with it, uh, the Bunker Hill Monument is a monument to a fallen Grand Master uh, from Massachusetts who was killed at Bunker Hill. He was uh, in his 20s, I think. He was a doctor. Uh, Joseph Warren, I believe, was his name. Um, and that monument has gone through several aesthetic changes over the years. And for anybody who's familiar with you know, Masonic iconography and the way it's been displayed in, in this country, especially, it's just a giant obelisk in, uh, you know, right outside of Boston. And it's clearly Masonic, but there's a huge story behind it. 
And a lot of it has to do with the Masons in the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts who are largely responsible for getting that monument to what it is. And that piece of history and the evolution of the monument was probably one of the more interesting programs I've seen. Good stuff. Scott? Well, I mean, I'll, I have to echo you, Ken. I think, you know, the table lodges are a lot of fun. Uh, I'll, I'll probably never forget my first table lodge because uh, my father bought me the ticket and I sat next to him that night. So, you know, it was a great experience. Uh, however, there's one uh, event that kind of sticks out in, if I remember correctly, it was a veterans program. Uh, now, typically veterans programs, you know, we hand out awards to our Masonic veterans and we recognize our special ladies and so on. But the, that particular evening, uh, at the dinner, the, the there was a presentation done by of all uh, set of folks, a set of beekeepers, oh. and it was it was interesting because we weren't expecting it. Uh, the master at the time set it up, but it had a double tie to us because while it was interesting, and for those of you that are familiar with with masonry, you'll understand the the importance of the beehive. But my lodge, St. Mark's Lodge has for the last up until recently for like 20 years we've had an active colony of honeybees in one of our columns out front and despite the fact of trying to remove it several times we always seem to get a new colony back uh so even though we associate ourselves with christmas trees because we sell christmas trees every year which is by far a fantastic experience we have a lot of fun with the community with that uh we are we started to think about maybe we should change our name to the beehive lodge because we always had bees there so you know seeing the tie in between you know learning a little bit about what beekeeping is kind of like gave us a new appreciation to what they go through compared to us just trying to you know make our front porch a little safer for everybody that's walking in and out of the building so that was kind of an interesting uh program very good chris but, but the beehive is still very masonic yes <laughs> It, so. it's, it has its Masonic connotations, but for those of us that have allergies to them, we kind of appreciate yeah. them not out there anymore. Not so good. Um, it, as far as me, a lot of it revolves around travel. Um, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, I, I two years ago, myself and, and another brother made a journey to the outdoor degree. And I will said mountain in Nova, uh, excuse me, not Nova Scotia in Quebec. Um, which just on the other side of the Vermont border, where you go up to this mountain, and this lodge has been doing this for 160 years. You go up to the top of this mountain. Um, unfortunately, the ski—it's a ski area now, but the ski lifts weren't working, so we had to hike. Um, but there's a sort of natural bowl at the very top of the mountain. That's it, it. Really is per, It's like it, it's like an amphitheater, a natural outcropping, and and every year this lodge um, holds. A master mason degree there and brothers from around you know around north america really you know are, are coming to meet to, to to witness this degree um and, and the experience of of being with other brothers and being in that setting which is just gorgeous and traveling and, and spending time with the brother that i got to spend time with uh, was something that, that I'll never forget. I, I've been able to go to a few national, lucky enough to go to a few national uh, Masonic uh, gatherings uh, with with brethren from around the country and around the world and have had some very uh, Masonically life-changing sort of conversations with, with brothers that I would have never, again, have otherwise met. Um, you know, the trip to the trip that I that I made years ago to Nova Scotia, uh, something that that our one of our lodges here in Nashua does your 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 lodge Tim 
um, annually and exchange back and forth. That was the hurricane year. Uh, oh, that yeah. Went there a number of years ago, but that was a remarkable experience. And then, you know, of course, because I'm I'm grand lecturer and I'm a ritualist and I love the ritual, the, the second district degree team. Um, that we did the senior last deacon, year. though, especially right. Well, he was okay, but uh, the I, I was, was actually phenomenal. concerned about the master that night. <laughs> <laughs> actually, three of us were in that degree, and you know, we had a it was just for a degree for one of the brothers in the district, and we all came together. We had like 50, 55 brothers there, and we had a, 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 a an education pre presentation from brother Ryan, Ryan Flynn, and we had a nice lunch afterwards. And it was just it was really to me one of one of the a perfect sort of Masonic experience. The, the degree was moving, I think, for all of us, and 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 the education that we received in the fellowship afterwards. So those are the types of things that 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 really that really stick out in my mind. It's, I should point out, if I may, while Chris, Tim, and I were all involved with the district degree team and did that degree, uh, mo most worshipful Clay was actually sitting on the sidelines and enjoyed that degree that that sure, afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. So indeed. Uh, Tim, one last one that I'll throw out. Um, my lodge has the benefit of also having a grand historian uh, be a part of the lodge. He set up what I thought was a, a fascinating program that was done away from the lodge. Uh, they all went down. There's a there's a cemetery that's about two miles from the lodge that there are just many, many uh, members of our lodge that are buried in that particular cemetery. And he went and kind of did a walking tour. And we went to these these various headstones and and were able to to learn a little bit about some of these people back in time. So I mean, this is the kind of creative thinking. There's just so many different things that can be done to really help master masons understand this is why I joined this wonderful fraternity. Well, I think that's the important word right there, Ken. Fraternity. Yep. Because at the end of the day, yes, the ritual is important. Education is important. The, the outreach and stuff that our lodges do is important. But at the end of the day, it's a fraternity. It's a collection of individuals and brothers that are working together and trying to make themselves better and trying to get along better. And I think that's what's really important. Now, I will, will say, Tim, that uh, I think Brother Musikov has kind of thrown out a challenge to, to any masters that may be on this. He's saying that he would love to uh, to see a, a rusty nail degree. So if there's anyone out there interested in putting one on, it sounds like you've got at least one brother that would be interested in traveling to go see it. I, I, Tim, I think you should have the district uh, masters and wardens meeting uh, bring that up and actually do it as a district event. You know, that's certainly a possibility. Thank you for mentioning that. I will I will be sure to bring that up <laughs> at our next meeting and, and work with the uh, incoming president of that association uh, to find out where we can do that. You know, the wonderful thing I love about this podcast is we just all actively throw each other under the bus the entire time. <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, I do I do think it's it's pertinent because, you know, one of the challenges that we're going to face, uh, many, many lodges in this jurisdiction go dark over the summer. Um, and then they'll be coming back in the fall. And one of the concerns I have is that many of these lodges haven't been very active for the last year because of the pandemic. So you're going to talk a year and a half that people have been on the sidelines in some cases, and now they're going to come back to lodge. And to many of the things that we discussed tonight, there's going to be some fear, some trepidation about, Ooh, I don't want to do something wrong. 
you know, I don't want to speak when I'm not supposed to be speaking. Um, what does what does some of this wording that's used mean? Um, I think it's going to be incumbent upon us uh, getting back to that comfort word. Uh, you've got to be looking around the lodge, making sure there isn't someone there who's a relatively new Mason who looks like he may be out of his comfort zone and could uh, use a little whispering good counsel. You know what? And I think that's a good point to end on because you're absolutely right. We are in a time where people are going to be coming back to lodge for the first time in 12, 15, after the summer, maybe 18 months before some brethren have been in lodge and they're just now comfortable with vaccinations happening or whatever criteria they need to meet. These things we discussed tonight are more important now than I think they have ever been because we have seen brothers leave the lodge over the course of the last 13 months and not come back as a result of, of societal pressures and, and other things that are going on. And getting those brothers in uh, back into lodge is going to be hopefully easy. Hopefully they've missed the lodge experience. But when they come back, they're going to need to see the changes that we're putting in place today. They need to see the active retention strategies from each lodge and know that there's a reason for them to continue coming back and that the last 13 months were something they missed because it was good. So as you start having meetings again, as you start having full-blown meetings again, remember the things we discussed. Reach out to your district and Grand Lodge officers because there's a lot of opportunity now to make changes that will impact you in the very short term in a big way. And, and I really want to make sure that we see that when lodges start coming back online and, and going into full swing. Um, and so with that, I would like to thank everyone who is here with us tonight. Thank you, Most Worshipful, uh, for joining us. I know retention has been something that you found to be very important in your term as Grand Master. And anyone who is a Mason, anyone who has been in Lodge for, you know, more than a year at this point, can fill in the blank on that where's brother dot, dot, dot with a name of somebody that they remember showing up to meetings or an EA that never came back after the first degree. And I think it's important that we understand retention begins at day one and we want to see those brothers back in Lodge. So make your Lodge experience valuable, make it fun, and make people be there because they want to be there. Not is, that they have to be there. And there it is. <laughs> uh, brethren, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, please, if you have any questions, comments, ideas for topics for uh, future episodes, you want to compose a theme song for the show, please reach out to uh, yes, Granite We have to do that. Can I have a competition? Chris is not a huge fan of my uh, very quickly found theme song, so we do need a new one. <laughs> Brethren, uh, we can be reached at Granite Cornerstone at nhgrandlodge.org. Can, can you put that up on the screen, Tim? What's that? Can you put that on the screen for them? Uh, yes, I can. You can see our email there at the bottom of the page. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Granite Cornerstone Podcast. We are. You can listen to this episode on YouTube. Watch this episode on YouTube. You can listen to it on Spotify and iTunes. Thanks to the masterful editing of uh, Right Worshipful Brother Busby. And with that, brethren, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great night. Jim, is see what is the uh, what is the next to uh, topic to be covered? Yes, we will see you again, brethren, on May second at seven thirty p.m., where we will be discussing what makes a good master. 
which I think will tie into a lot of what we've already discussed and, and we'll expound on that because being a master is not just sitting in the East at large. There's a lot that goes into that. So brethren, thank you. And then we hope to see you back on May 2nd for that topic. Have a good night, all. Good night. Night.